how's it going everyone? It is once again me, Chewy, and I am the host of this horror podcast titled Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. But before we start with the episode, I wanted to remind you guys to go out and check out our social media pages, which you can find in our link tree, and the link for that is linktree.com slash mythsbehindlgds, and on there you can find anything from our Twitter, to our Instagram, to our Facebook links. I believe also the merch store should be linked in there as well. So if you want to stop by and score some sweet EMBL swag, by all means, go ahead and do that. So if you listened to last week's episode about Day of the Dead, we announced that going forward, the format for the podcast will be a little bit different. So I'll be doing solo on the first part, And if we have a guest, that's when we we will have them here. And for the second segment, we shall have my co-host Mariah drop in and give her insights on the topic at hand. So for this week's episode, we decided to watch none other than Stephen King's adaptation of Children of the Corn. So stick around because it's going to get pretty interesting. Okay, so let's go ahead and start with our movie critique slash rant (laughs) slash review. So starting off with the credits for this film, we have the director named Fritz Kirsch, who did not appear to have done a lot of work after this, actually. And of course, the screenplay written by George Goldsmith was based on the story of the same name by Stephen King. And this movie was released on March 9th of 1984 with a budget of around a million and a half dollars but half of that money roughly had to be delivered to Stephen King because of marketing issues since they used his name in the posters and the marketing for this he pretty much asked for a big cut and they gave him about roughly half of the budget So the movie actually had only about $800,000 to work with, but it did make about $14.5 so I would call that a good investment. I don't know about you. (laughs) So for the cast, we have the following people playing the following roles. We have Peter Horton playing Bert. We have Linda Hamilton as Vicky. We have R.G. Armstrong playing Deal, a.k.a. The Old Man. And for the titular creepy-ass kids, (laughs) we have John Franklin as Isaac. We have Courtney Gaines as Malachi. Robbie Keeger as Job. Anne-Marie McAvoy as Sarah. Judy Maddalena as Rachel. Jonas Marlowe as Joseph. And John Pilvin as Richard, a.k.a. Amos. So, what is this movie about? I'm not going to do a whole scene-by-scene thing with this. It's just going to be basically the most important scenes for the plot. And in the beginning, we see how people are living their daily life in the town of Gatlin, Nebraska. And we see a man and his boy, Job, walk into a diner after leaving church. And Job, who also happens to be the narrator for this part of the movie tells us how his mom and his sister Sarah are at home because the little girl is sick with a fever 
So the dad goes to the payphone in the diner and calls them. And this is where we first see this creepy ass motherfucker. <laughs> None other than Isaac. So Isaac is a quote unquote child <laughs> who, I mean, the actor that played this role was actually in his 20s, I believe. And so we see him staring inside the diner through the window. And the look on this guy's face is priceless, man. I don't know. It's equal parts creepy, disturbing, and yet also kind of hilarious in a way. <laughs> um, maybe you laugh because you're scared. I don't know. At least I think I did. Because <laughs> it's really unsettling. But he looks inside the diner, and so this means that the slaughter has begun, which means that the kids, all the children of Gatlin, Nebraska, are going to commit murder on the adults. So then we meet Bert and Vicky, and right off the bat, I gotta say, I'm not a big fan of Bert. <laughs> I mean, he's not a bad guy, implicitly, but he does treat his girlfriend Vicky like crap throughout the movie. He's... <laughs> He acts pretty condescending to her, and I don't know, I just didn't like this guy very much. But actually, in the very first scene that we see them, it becomes evident that he's kind of a, a D-bag. Because Vicky wakes him up, and they have a little conversation, like, lovey-dovey, whatever. Eh. <laughs> and then she bursts out into this whole musical song and dance number for this guy to motivate him. And the whole time, he's just looking at her like, eh, I'm not impressed. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just the first sign that tells me that this guy is something else, man. So, they're driving, and they're just trying to play the I Spy game in the road, and all they see is corn everywhere, nothing but corn, and this godforsaken piece of land. And we see a boy named Joseph talking to Job and Sarah in the next scene. And what Joseph's trying to do is he's trying to leave the town to get help. Because for the past three years, it's been nothing but kids running the show on Gatlin. So he's trying to run away and he lets Sarah and Job know of his intentions. But then Isaac, who is the leader of this community of deranged children, finds out somehow. So he sicks his dog Malachi after Joseph and as Joseph is running through the corn rows they seem to come alive and the score gets all threatening and you know something's happening because of the scary music which by the way I gotta say it's awesome throughout the movie so as he's becoming terrified of this living corn <laughs> Malachi finds him and slashes his throat and as he's dying he stumbles out of out on the road and none other than Bert and Vicky run him over. So this being the 80s and of course there are no cell phones in this time period, um, Joseph stops his car and he decides to go and explore inside the cornfields and he sees blood and he sees Joseph's suitcase so he brings it out. He explains to Vicky that the boy was already dying because somebody cut his throat out so he makes the what I 
want to call the questionable decision of picking up the body and taking it with them. So <laughs> he picks up the corpse of this boy Joseph and he packs it up in his trunk. So can you imagine if somehow they got pulled over at this point? <laughs> I mean, what is he going to tell the officer? Uh, hey there, Mr. Bird, can I check your trunk? Oh, by all means, officer, I got nothing in there but a dead boy with his throat cut out. <laughs> that I swear I had nothing to do with <laughs> on my life. Uh, yeah, Bird, you're going to be getting the chair for that, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be good for you. So, they're driving in the roads of rural Nebraska with this dead boy in their trunk everywhere in a, what seems to be a very hot day. And <laughs> they come across this gentleman named Deal, aka the old man, who is running the gas station or the service station. And he is the only adult that was left to live by the kids because of his knowledge of the oil pumps. So basically they only let him live because he can pump gas for them and fix their tractors and stuff like that. So <laughs> I guess that's a good skill to have in case you ever find yourself surrounded by murderous children. Learn how to service engines and how to pump gas, guys. Uh... <laughs> so he tries to steer them in a different direction. He's not rude to them necessarily, but he's kind of off-putting. I guess he's trying to save their lives, really. So he tells them to go to a different town, not Gatlin. And so they leave, but the signs on the road have all been changed. So in the end, I mean, after driving for, I don't know, about an hour or so through the cornfields, they come right back out to the gas station. So then Bert decides to go to Gatlin. And when they get there, it's pretty much a ghost town. There's nothing but corn everywhere. And I mean everywhere, it's in every building they go into. There's corn in the diner, there's corn in the police station, there's corn everywhere. So this whole time, Bert is very condescending to Vicky. She's trying to get them to leave, to get the hell out of there. And he's like, no, 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 just let me check out this next building. And no, 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 let me go over here. So then as they're driving out of the town, finally, they see that the door to what used to be Job's and Sarah's old home opens and closes. So Bert, being the intelligent person that he is, of course, decides to stop his car and explore the house. And at this point, it's like where I was, man, this guy sucks. <laughs> because I would have hightailed it the hell out of there, man. I would have not explored a, a home. And Vicky even tells him before he breaks the door down, this is somebody's home, we can't just go in there. And he's like, eh, I can do what I want. So eventually, they find Sarah in the house. And after having another little argument because of Bert's stubbornness, and him being a douchebag to his girlfriend, he leaves his wife, or girlfriend, whatever she is, in this house with a strange child, while he goes to, quote-unquote, get help. I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> so at this point, when Bert is walking through town trying to find an adult to talk to, Malachi and some other children of the corn appear and kidnap Vicky. So they take her to the cornfield and they're gonna basically crucify her in some sort of weird ritual. 
so Bird goes back to the house and finds Sarah, and then he continues to explore the town, and he comes across this group of kids inside the church that are conducting some sort of a blood ceremony, and this happens every time one of the kids turns 19, because I believe that's the age of maturity, quote-unquote. So anytime that happens, they have to walk into the cornfield and get taken by the entity known as he who walks behind the rose. So then Bert tries to lecture the kids about how uncool it is to drink each other's blood in a ritual. So the kids aren't having it and they try to resist, but then Bert is able to escape. And as he's running across town trying to evade capture, Job finds him and hides him and tends to his wounds. So then we start seeing the first signs of discord between Isaac and Malachi. And Malachi isn't really happy with the way Isaac is running things anymore. So in the meantime though, he takes Vicky off the cross and tries to lure Bert out with her. And not only that, but he actually puts Isaac in the horn cross in the place of Vicky because every time one of the kids turns 19, the kid, him or herself, walks into the cornfield. But another person has to be sacrificed as well. So instead of sacrificing Vicky, Malachi decides that it's time to get rid of Isaac. And night falls and Bird comes into the cornfield and he fights with the kids, but then we see a rather poorly rendered cloud of neon gas <laughs> or what I consider to be neon gas and so this is being used to represent the entity known as he who walks behind the roads so this thing eats Isaac and his death scream is iconic that word gets thrown around a lot lately but until you have heard this guy scream as he's dying, you don't know what that word means. I'm sorry, this is the definition of iconic. Just hear that scream. It's got to be out there on YouTube somewhere. Look it up. Isaac, death scream in Children of the Corn. Iconic. Chaos then ensues because the demon slash entity is upset. And actually Isaac gets revived and he comes back in undead glory and takes Malachi with him in his final act of vengeance. With the help of Job, Bert figures out that the way to get rid of this demon slash entity is to burn the cornfield. So there's this container of what they call gaso hall, which I'm assuming is fuel for the tractors or something. And so they find a way to pump it into the cornfield and they light it with this Molotov cocktail. And the effect is less than good, <laughs> I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, in the end, win. They burn the cornfield, and he who walks behind the rose is no more. At least for this movie, I think. Because they made like 25 of these after <laughs> the original. If you don't believe me, look the filmography. I think there's 10 or 11 in the series. And as a final thing in the ending which i thought the ending was tacked on it made no sense and it was kind of a what the fuck moment for me 
so what happens is that they walk back to the car, them being Bert, Vicky, with Job and Sarah, who I believe will now become their adopted kids or something. Um, <laughs> so they walk back to their car, which had been flooded with corn previously. And I think they go back because they're looking for a map or something like that. So they go back to the car and in the back seat, there's one of the kids from the church and she tries to murder Bert, but Vicky hits her with something and the kid gets knocked unconscious. And then Bert gets all concerned all of a sudden. He gets like, oh my God, that's not right. We can't leave an unconscious child in the car like this. And dude, your car is totaled. No one's coming to tow it because this town's abandoned. So why do you care, really? <laughs> and then as they're wondering what to do next, I guess, the words, the end, pop up into the screen. And they walk away into the sunset. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty nonsensical ending, if you ask me. Like, I don't know if they're trying to score one last jump scare for the audience before the movie ended, but that was not the way to do it, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, it's pretty lame. <laughs> so I may have given off the impression that I hate this movie, but I don't really. I actually will give my scores for this movie in the next segment with Mariah, so stick around for that. And also for her own opinions on some of the stuff that I talked about right now. But before I move on to that, I want to mention a couple of things. The first of which is that Stephen King actually wrote a draft for the script for this movie. And upon reading it, the people that made the movie were not too much into it. They thought it was a bad script. Because in the original story, which is actually quite different from this movie, by the way, Bert and Vicky are not getting along with each other. They pretty much hate each other. I believe they're a married couple that's going through a divorce or they're thinking about getting a divorce. And Stephen King's script mirrors pretty much his original story in movie form. So he had a conversation with the guy that ended up writing the script, the final version, which is George Goldsmith. And King was not very happy. <laughs> He thought the new script was not up to par and the people in turn responded to Stephen King by saying that you don't know what a script is because a book is not the same as a movie, which they're not really. And I can see why a lot of things have to be changed when adapting a story from a book into a movie. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, apparently Stephen King was not a fan of the final script of this and he had to put up with some abuse from the producers. And I think this guy was a little bit too full of himself. Not Stephen King, but George Goldsmith, because he ended up saying in interviews that he viewed his script as some sort of, um, I don't know what I want to call it, but representation, I guess, of what was going on in the country of Iran at that point in time. Which, without getting too much into that, because it's kind of a political thing, and that's not what this podcast is about, but a person who was the leader of a very deeply religious group took over that country, and a lot of people lost their lives. And so for this guy to say that my script represents the plight of those people, 
I don't know, man. I, I think it's a little bit too self-centered to me, but I mean, that's just my opinion, I guess. And apparently Goldsmith was upset that nobody made the connection. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, bro, I don't think that was a good thing to compare yourself to. Another thing that I want to talk about is that none other than Mr. Roger Ebert, the infamous film critic, gave this movie one out of four stars, and I quote, By the end of Children of the Corn, the only thing moving behind the rows is the audience, fleeing to the exits. So, ouch. <laughs> That's a little rough there, Mr. Ebert. So, I mean, yeah, the movie's not great or anything. It's not groundbreaking and it's not a great piece of cinema but i think it's enjoyable i think it's got a lot of good things going for it like i mentioned the music is pretty good the acting is pretty well done also i mean linda hamilton is always good in whatever she's in and bird as much of a douchebag as he was i mean the guy did a good job representing that douchebaggery uh, <laughs> and also the kids, I mean, Job and Sarah did pretty good in their respective roles as well. So there are some things to salvage from this train wreck. Uh, <laughs> nah, it's not that bad. But now I want to also talk about a couple of things. The first of which is... There's a question between or amongst fans of Stephen King's work as to whether the entity known as He Who Walks Behind the Rose is none other than Randall Flagg. And if you're a Stephen King follower, you know that Randall Flagg is one of his recurring villains. He's basically a... Not, I don't want to say he's a god, because you can injure him, you can kill him in a way, but he always finds a way to come back. He travels between dimensions, I don't want to talk too much about that because it's, you know, I could spend days talking about Randall Flagg. But he is a recurring villain in Stephen King's books and movies. Most notoriously in The Stand. And also in the amazingly incredible Dark Tower series of books. The movie, not so much. Um, <laughs> that's a can of worms for a different day, my friends. But some people believe that he who walks behind the rose is a representation of Randall Flagg because like I mentioned, he travels between dimensions. And when I say dimensions, basically a lot of Stephen King's books are connected to each other through characters and events. And one of the themes in his books is that sometimes characters are able to travel through different dimensions to different worlds, if you will. So kind of like the cinematic universe type of thing, if you will. And if you saw the 90s adaptation of The Stand, the TV series, there's a scene in that in which a character known as Mother Abigail, who lives close to a cornfield, sees a demonic figure in the rose, and it's Randall Flagg. I think it's been ages since I read the book, but I think there's a similar scene in the book as well. So that's where the parallel comes in for a lot of people. A lot of people think that because Mother Abigail is the embodiment of good in that book, in that miniseries, The Stand, 
that Randall Flagg, since he's the evil character in that, and he appears in a cornfield, that he is none other than he who walks behind the rose. So if you're a fan of Stephen King and you're following us, you listen to this episode, let us know what you think. If you think that Randall Flagg made a cameo as he who walks behind the rose, or if you think that's a completely ridiculous idea and it's two different characters. And the last thing I'll mention before I move on to Mariah's segment is I asked myself, why is this movie scary? Or why could it be scary for someone? And I think it's because it hits the trifecta of horror. And (laughs) to me, that is that, number one, there is a cult, a religious cult, if you will, that endangers the lives of others, that worships some sort of supernatural entity. And that's one thing. The other thing is that they're in the middle of nowhere. So a lot of horror movies, horror stuff in general, books, stories, etc., have the element of man versus nature kind of thing in which people go into the wilderness like the forests or the mountains in this case a massive fucking cornfield Uh, (laughs) but essentially it shows people being out of their element people who are used to the life in the city and all of a sudden they find themselves in the middle of nowhere I think that's a fear that is ingrained into a lot of us. I mean, I think for me at least, I couldn't survive in the, in the wild. I would die like in a week. Um, <laughs> so, number one again, it's the re- religious cult. Number two, it's taking someone out of their element from the city and putting them in the middle of nowhere to fight this cult. And number three, the creepy ass kids. Kids are creepy. (laughs) Just in general. But then when you make them murderous and they're zealots and they're following this demon that's telling them to sacrifice themselves when they turn 19 and to kill everyone that's around them that's an adult. I mean, yeah. It can definitely be a very unsettling idea. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that's my opinion of why this movie could be scary for someone. I didn't think it was scary myself, even when I first watched it, I think I watched it when I was a teenager the first time, but the whole concept of kids doing these horrible things is pretty unnerving, so just my two cents on that. Alright, so now we're gonna take a little break and move on to Mariah's segment in which we will talk to her about her impressions on the movie and her own scores for it, so stick around. We are back with Mariah's segment for this episode. So Mariah, um, (laughs) you were telling me behind the scenes that you thought this movie was pretty creepy, and I am looking forward to hearing your reasons as to why that is. I love this movie so much. It's very creepy because it involves children. And the first time watching this movie, actually, I had nightmares. 
It was that good. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie so much. So if it's not too much to ask, would you share a couple of details of the Slimers? Yes. So I love corn. So I had the very first time when I watched this movie years, many, many years ago, I think I was probably a teenager. I must have been probably like 13, possibly. And I watched it because my mom said this it was a it was a really great movie and it creeped her out. So we had already watched a lot of horror movies together, and um, so we started watching this one. And the nightmares. I had a nightmare that I was in this cornfield, and there was this, like, demon child running after me. And I was so sad. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it ended pretty funny because I was so sad that I was going to die and not be able to eat corn. <laughs> Which is really silly. <laughs> but it was it was a crazy nightmare from what I remember. It is kind of funny that your main concern in this was that the your corn eating days were over. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was so uh, sad. <laughs> oh, man, that, that is kind of funny. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, but... um. Coming back to the movie here a little bit, so are there any scenes in, in specific that haunted you or that you thought were better than the other ones or that stood out for you? I would say the opening when the kids are all in the restaurant and it's they're surrounded by the town folks having their breakfast and everything and just the smiles that you see on their faces, enjoying each other's company, and just right before they just and didn't even know they were going to get killed. And that is probably the best scene ever from this entire movie. It's definitely pretty creepy. It sets a scene. It sets the mood of the, the film. Of, yes. Like, whoa, this is... What is the start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it starts out pretty strongly. And then, of course, uh, we get more stuff going on. But basically, the movie centers on these kids who, for some reason, are convinced by another kid that they have to follow this demon slash spirit i don't know what it is exactly uh and they call it he who walks behind the rose <laughs> and so this one kid named isaac is the one that's kind of leading the charge here and he has a second one that's named malachi he's like his um second in command right kind of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah so <laughs> i gotta ask you like the the in that scene that you talked about Right before the kids do their thing, Job, which is the name of the, the main kid, who happens to be good, he's a good kid, and his sister as well, right before that starts, he sees Isaac in the window, and he kind of gives this weird look to the camera, so how did that make you feel? 
Very uncomfortable. <laughs> Just, I think it's because Isaac, his face was very creepy in this film. He's a really creepy child, isn't he? Yes. Especially because the actor that plays him was like 25 when he made this movie. <laughs> I actually just learned that right before and it blew my mind. <laughs> it's like, whoa, he was actually an adult? I thought he was probably 10 in this movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought he was probably like in his er maybe late teens, early, early 20s, like 19 or 20. Really? I thought he looked like 10 <laughs> or max like maybe 13. It's because he was kind of short. He was tiny. Yeah. <laughs> and I can say that because I'm a short dude. I'm like 5'4". So. <laughs> um, I, I think he must have been like my height and that shorter. He looked like he was like 5'2", five, five maybe. And yeah, but that, that shot of him, the, the first time that we see him in the movie, that look he gives the camera, it's really unsettling. It's really unnerving. So props to that actor because he did really good, and just I, he didn't—he didn't even have to say anything. Just by looking at the camera, you, you know he was up to no good. Just his presence alone mm -hmm. just set the entire tone of this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of our main characters, the adults? Bert and Vicky. I like them. I feel like Bert, I know he was trying to be the responsible one and trying to lead the children to safety and everything and trying to make sure that Vicky was okay. But I feel like I was expecting a little more out of Bert. And Vicky did amazing, I think, throughout the entire film. I loved her character. It was really good but Bert I feel at different points he seems a little selfish but th that's just like my opinion that I'm getting from him with his character I was expecting a little more but he was really good overall <laughs> I agree with you on that because I do think he's a, a good man I mean he's not evil he's not a bad dude but I do feel like he takes his girlfriend for granted uh, <laughs> quite a bit doesn't he yes or it seems to me that way because uh, the first time that we see him they're in the hotel room and they're sleeping together like or they're waking up rather and it's his birthday and she seems to be really into him and she's like singing for him and dancing for him and, and he's like oh, okay yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> he seems yeah. to just like you know take her for granted and, and you see more of that throughout the movie where he talks down to her every like every now and then and while he doesn't seem to be right like, or outright uh, abusive he doesn't seem to be like an abusive man but he does seem to be like i know better than you because because i'm a guy and you're a woman kind of thing i did get that as well like, I don't know if you remember, like, when they're exploring the town and she keeps telling him, let's leave, let's get out of here. And he kind of just makes, like, shooting signs to her, like, with, with his fingers and, like, like just whatever, like, you know. Like, I'm the man. What I say goes. That's what gave the 
impression to me. Yeah. Basically, right? While to me, again, I, I don't think he seems to be like an abusive boyfriend or husband or whatever he is to her. Uh, he does seem to have some of that mentality that was more common back then. And not to say that's a good thing. I mean, it's I, I don't think it was a good thing. That it was kind of like, shh, woman, I know better. Because <laughs> I'm a guy <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> and I mean, I'm laughing because that's, that's how silly it is. I am not too sure that I like him too much, to be honest. <laughs> 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 but that's my opinion, like you said. So... What do you think about the relationship between Isaac and Malachi? Because at one point in the movie, they don't get along with each other very well. I think it's very competitive. I feel like Malachi really wanted Isaac's position and to be a leader and not to be his second person in line, I'd say. But yeah, I would say a lot of jealousy coming from Malachi and just wanting to probably kill Isaac, honestly. <laughs> it's really creepy <laughs> how Malachi, anytime he got angry throughout the film, it was scary. It, it made my heart beat where I was like, oh, well, I better if I, I would feel like too scared to even say anything if I was around somebody exactly like that in person. <laughs> I'm not sure how old he was when he made the movie, the actor. But I did find something of a funny story about him. Ooh. <laughs> when, oh, actually about him and, and Isaac. So the first one is about Malachi. So he was so creepy to the people on set, to the crew and everything that even his parents were creeped out of his performance. Wow. Like, even his own parents thought, like, oh, is, is my kid okay? Like, is he <laughs> possessed <laughs> by a demon right now? Like, what's going on with him? <laughs> because apparently that, that was completely different from his personality in real life. So, wow. I mean, can you imagine, like, even his own parents started to doubt his... his uh... <laughs> like, he hey, just uh... really nailed the character. Wow. The other story that I found, it's about Isaac, the, the, the actor, who says that a few months after the movie came out, he and some family and friends were eating at a restaurant somewhere, and that some lady sitting next to their table recognized him from the movie, and that she had a panic attack. That she freaked out and she was screaming and, and she asked the people I, I can't be sitting next to this guy because he, he creeps me out he's I, I don't like him so they had to move her to a different table like far away from him <laughs> wow and this was an actual in person at a restaurant not filming in real life wow yeah he was already done with the movie and, and he was already doing other things and he was just hanging out with his friends and family <laughs> <laughs> wow how much of an impact his character did wow <laughs> i mean just to have some some random lady you know freak out like that i mean <laughs> but uh... felt danger <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i definitely agree with what you said that malachi kind of 
wants to be the top dog in this whole situation. And to me, it seems that Malachi is more of a of a do kind of person versus uh, Isaac is more of a talk kind of person. So, because at some point when they confront each other, Malachi tells him like, we're all tired of your speeches and this and that, and it's time for me to show you what I can do. And so I think the two styles of leadership would be really different. And uh, there is definitely some sort of competition from there or from them in the, in the movie. And so what do you think of the two little kids, Job and uh, Sarah, the ones that are not involved in the cult? They are so adorable. I really felt when I was a child watching this, I remember thinking how I felt like I related a lot to Sarah in some ways as in seeing things and also very shy and quiet and all of that and being scared as well and kind of following my older brother's lead and hoping that I'm I was always safe and everything so I really did love that part of Sarah watching this I thought actually they did pretty good considering they're child actors I mean uh, I don't know if I ever saw them in any other movies though I can't remember the girl looks kind of familiar maybe yes it kind of reminded me of Drew Barrymore when she was a little girl just the the cute little face <laughs> yeah and, and actually that might have been around the same time because this movie was made in 1984 so I think Drew Barrymore was like 10 years old at that point maybe or somewhere in because uh, she had done E.T. like in the early 80s. Yes, and also Firestarter in Cat's Eye. And I believe both of them were Stephen King movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I do think both the kids did pretty good. Um, I think Job just kind of wants to be helpful because I think on some, on some level he feels guilt for the death of his dad because he saw his dad, you know, being killed by this guy Murder. and he didn't do anything yeah he didn't do anything to help him but i mean he really couldn't have done much he was probably like seven when, when this whole thing happened so uh throughout the movie you kind of see him be helpful to to bert and vicky and so what do you think of we have the scene in the church where they're drinking blood what do you think that's all about i want to say it could be possibly as a a type of sacrifice or the other impression that I had was possibly they needed energy <laughs> <laughs> like vampires every time one of them turned 19 they had to do this ceremony and then that night of their 19th birthday, they're supposed to be sacrificed to the the demon behind the rose. And we see that actually towards the end when they... Well, actually, when Malachi takes over the whole thing, he has the kids tie Isaac to the corn cross thing. And so they're going to sacrifice the guy that turns... 
19, I think his name is Amos or something like that. And that night, he's supposed to go into the cornfield and get killed or something. And then the one in the cross, who happens to be Isaac, also gets eaten or whatever it is by this demon thing. So, I gotta ask you this. What do you think of the special effects in this? Because it, it looks a little... <laughs> it honestly reminded me of Power Rangers. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember the just overall like the game boy era yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the effects to that but yes it's very video game video like video game effects that's what it gave me like super 80s screaming 80s video game effects and it was so good just how they were able to do the fire effects and you can see the corn corn uh, fields very pixelated moving back and forth and it looks almost like there's a shadow on each cornfield so that was really cool to see versus someone watching it now who wasn't born in the 80s <laughs> i can't even imagine what they would think <laughs> they'd probably laugh now <laughs> yeah i mean i i kind of laughed a little bit because i mean even though <laughs> the first time that i saw this movie i must have been around 13 or 14 but this is back in the late 90s okay so by this point this movie's uh, as old as i am because i'm from 1984 and I just broke my back saying that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so when I saw the movie, the movie itself was like already 14 years old. And special effects were a little better by then, but I was watching it the other day and I was having a couple of beers and I was like, oh man, this is funny. Like the... <laughs> when, when, I don't know what it was, like the, the spirit eats Isaac in the, in the corn cross. It kind of looks like like really bright and I don't know. It, it just looked a little corny to me. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course in in the storm where after Isaac gets eaten, whatever, this demon starts causing a storm in the cornfield. And because allegedly, according to Isaac, the demon he who walks behind the rose is upset that Malachi killed the old man in the gas station. He's also upset that he had Isaac made a sacrifice instead of Vicky. And that he was going to come back to punish him. And that is why this whole scene is taking place. Because according to Isaac, this thing will get mad. And Isaac himself comes back from Malachi, doesn't he? Yes. That was creepy. I actually was very inspired by his face of Isaac when he's kind of... He looks like a zombie. Yeah. Almost. Where he has big chunks of blood in his face. And I actually did my nails like that a few years ago, inspired by this movie, because I loved his face so much, the way it looked. And so what I did was I just painted my nails kind of like a nude color, just to match my skin tone. And then I put red little like peeling and it just it looked just like that and I, <laughs> I love it so much it was really interesting just how 
amazing he looked coming back and oh, i just i love it so much yeah i agree with you he looked really creepy in that scene and then when he just like snaps malachi's neck in half <laughs> that's pretty gruesome uh <laughs> and so a couple more things Maria, before we sign off from your segment tonight what did you f- think about the ending i was actually okay so here's here's a funny thing okay so when i watched the movie a long time ago it had been probably years well of course more than a decade ago <laughs> since watching this film and re-watching it again, I totally forgot that there was a child in the car when Bert and Vicky are trying to... I, I don't know what they're... I, I think it was Bert who was looking for something or getting something for the car and then this child comes and he tries to kill Bert. And and that was really, really creepy. And I thought I had forgotten that Bert actually lived. So when I was just getting um, notes and just getting any cool stuff from the internet and research about this movie, I actually stumbled upon, I guess, uh, the book version where he actually does die, Bert. So I was so confused. So I had to rewatch it towards the end. And I was like, okay, okay, I think he lives. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so different. And that was crazy. Just, I feel like from reading the, the book's version, it seemed more real life than the actual movie. Because the movie seems more, it wanted to end on a good note like happily ever after and i feel the the book's version was very horror related <laughs> well it is a stephen king story mind you yes <laughs> stephen king is infamous for not always but in a lot of his stories the main characters don't always live happily ever after um a lot of times they die <laughs> and even when they don't die <laughs> they are left with these huge like psychological scars and traumas and a whole bunch of stuff they got to deal with after the fact. So it's not like, it's like you said, more realistic, I think, because when somebody goes through a traumatic event in real life, whatever that might be, it takes a long time for them to get over that. It's not just like, oh, we're, we're done. Like I, I finished this. So mm-hmm, time to go to the next chapter in my life. the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not what happens in real life and in, in real life, people deal with a lot of stuff for a long time even for years so yeah uh, and um as far as the ending for me i thought it was kind of silly <laughs> <laughs> yes it is and also you see the red demon almost but it was it looked like a smile mm-hmm. kind of it was so weird i don't know that's what i got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I wasn't exactly sober when I watched this movie, so... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't drunk either, but uh, but yeah, like uh, the special effects are a little weird, but I do think that... Uh, I mean, the, the car scene, the, the scare, like the... What do you call that? The jump scare with the, the child in the car. That was a little unexpected, but I mean, to me, it made no sense for them to go back to the car and find whatever they're looking for. 
and then it just it just says the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just looks really sudden, like like maybe a scene was missing or something, and they just kind of just like, and you know, we're done. Yes, I feel like there was a big chunk that was left undone or not put in. Actually, I think it was because I was reading some of the notes, and um, I'll talk about this more in the other segment, but the budget was cut quite a bit because uh, what happened was I think the movie was given a budget of like a million and a half dollars and Stephen King went in and took half of that money for himself (laughs) (laughs) for writing the story and, and stuff like that so the movie was left with a budget of about 800,000 which oh, whoa. yeah which even in the 80s that's it a was, huge chunk yeah even in the 80s that wasn't a lot of money to make a movie with good special effects mind you so i think that's why the the special effects look a little shoddy in this version and <laughs> i do want to bring up one more thing Mariah, before i ask you for your scores uh you mentioned that in the book version Bert and Vicky both die. And actually, there was a remake of this movie. What? Yeah, it came out around 2009, maybe. 2010. More than a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, so that version is more like the book than this, for sure. Oh, wow. I have not seen it. Yeah, so yeah. I am not going to say any more in case you do happen to run into it, <laughs> run across it, and you want to watch it. But uh, that version of the... Or that movie's version, sorry, is more like the book than this movie. So, uh, okay, Mariah, so I guess it's time for you to give us your scores. And how many psycho kids of the corn (laughs) (laughs) do you give this movie out of 10? 10, absolutely. 10? Uh, Okay, I'm going to give this... What do I want to give this movie? I kind of want to give this movie a 7. Oh, okay. Because I do feel like... I think... I mean, I did like it. I thought it was a good movie. I thought the story was good. But I felt like some of the acting was a little weird. I felt like the special effects were a little weird, too. And I wasn't a big fan of Bert, (laughs) personally, as a character. (laughs) And also, the ending was a little weird. I felt like... Like you said. It was rushed. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mentioned the budget a little earlier because I think that's what happened. I think they had to cut the ending or something like that. They actually ended up cutting some mm-hmm. of the scenes because they couldn't afford to shoot them anymore. So I feel like maybe something else was supposed to happen or something and they just didn't get around to filming because they had no money. <laughs> so, so you give it a 10, I give it a 7, which is not to say that it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I'm just being that picky. Really. <laughs> so, how about the children? How many scores out of ten? How creepy are they? Ten. If I could give a thousand, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on that, I'm going to agree with you for sure. I'm going to give this, uh, the kids overall a ten because they are creepy AF. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's just something about kids and horror when kids are evil that just kind of strikes a different nerve, doesn't it? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, so... You got anything else for us, Moran, before we sign off for tonight? So, actually... 
a fact from Children of the Corn. So on the dashboard of Bert and Vicky's car is actually a copy of Night Shift, which was a Stephen King short story collection in which Children of the Corn originally appeared. Yeah, you see it in, in, when they're driving in the highway? Yes, yes. Yeah, you see the book in the dashboard. I saw a book and I was like, what is that? Because I have a copy of the book, <laughs> but I have a different version. The cover looks different. But how amazing is that? I love that. <laughs> it's like a little I Easter egg. I love it so much. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's like a little Easter egg. So, um, all right. So... I guess that's going to be it for this episode of Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. Thank you, Maria, once again for joining us and giving us your opinions and your thoughts in this movie. It's always great talking to you. So before we leave, though, we need to remind our listeners that they can find us on social media. They can find us on our Linktree page, which has all of our links. And that page is linktree.com slash mythsbehindlgds. You can find all of our Twitter links, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And we want to remind you guys to stay away from cornfields, stay away from creepy kids holding sickles and axes and knives because they're probably not going to be nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't believe we have something figured out for next week yet, Maria, so I can't tell the people what that would be. Yes, but expecting. <laughs> <laughs> kind of playing it by ear because for this month, I was hoping to have guest commentators in every episode. Unfortunately, the person that I was talking to about this one is not going to make it, I don't think. So I'm going to have oh, to go no. solo for this for the main part of the episode. But that's okay. I think I can manage. Uh, but hopefully all the other ones that I'm talking to will be able to join us for their opinions. And that's all that I can say because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah thank you Maria once again and until we see you on the next one have a good one <laughs>